0: Welcome to the Solo Women RV Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and
1: advice from solo women RVers, van lifers, and campers who are making their travel dreams come true. Whether you're just getting started in solo travel or are a seasoned expert,
0: this show is for you. Join us. Just because you're solo doesn't mean you're alone.
1: Here's your host, Kathy Belge. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode number 72. My guest this week is Michelle Fishburn. Just as COVID was shutting down the country, Michelle headed out solo in her RV to talk to people about what their lives were like during the pandemic. One of the things I love about Michelle's story is that it's such a great example of a unique way to use your RV to pursue a passion. She traveled the country during a global pandemic to collect stories and the end result is her book. Who We Are Now, Stories of What Americans Lost and Found During the COVID-19 Pandemic. I'm reading this book right now. It is so good. Listen in to my interview with Michelle. Well, hello, Michelle. Well, hello, Kathy. Yay. So my guest this week is Michelle Fishburn, And Michelle has such a great story. And I'm excited we finally got to have you on here.
0: I'm excited to be here and talk about this very odd journey. Odd and wonderful.
1: Odd and wonderful. Yeah, Michelle is the author of this amazing book, which I've just just started to dive into. It's called Who We Are Now, Stories of What Americans Lost and Found During the COVID-19 Pandemic. And um, there's so many things I love about this book, but the first part I love is that At the start of the pandemic, you decided to travel and collect stories from people in the midst of it while it was going on. And um, I think that's such a wonderful thing because we talked to you in in your RV. So, um, you know, I talked to so many people and there's so many ways to journey in your RV, but it's not, you can, your RV is such a great tool. It's not just for visiting national parks and, And going out boondocking, you could really use it to do something as amazing as doing research for a book. So, first of all, that's one of the first reasons I I love this book is because it just sort of shows us the many different ways to travel and live in an RV. Um, but let's let's back up for a minute, so you can tell us a little bit about the history of this book and a little bit about your story. Yeah, go ahead. Or I was just going to ask you. So, like many people, you lost your job in 2020, and instead, well, you decided to take that opportunity to hit the road. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Okay, so um, in the spring of 2020, I was my my daughter was a senior in high school. And I was living in a house, and I had a job. (laughs) All the normal things for a 57-year-old. And I was working for a national nonprofit doing national partnerships and events and PR. And then when COVID hit, we couldn't do the events I had planned on the Hill with the Senate and with the House of Representatives. And he couldn't go into, our, our founder couldn't go into... A prison and do an event with John Legend, which was, it was an inmates to entrepreneurs. It's about teaching people who have a criminal record, how to start their own businesses, because sometimes they can't get jobs because of their criminal records. If we're going to give them a true second chance, we have to give them a true second chance, right? So we, it was about entrepreneurial education and this other event. So we had some really cool things lined up and none of them could happen because of COVID. So I got laid off because no sense having a national events person if you can't have any national events. Yeah. And so I got laid off pretty early on. I thought, no problem. I'll just get another job. I've got a, a law degree from UVA. I was an international trade attorney for a decade before I had kids. You know, I, I have some talents and some skills and experience, But I submitted eight, six customized cover letters between the middle of March and the middle of July, and I had nothing. I even offered my services for free, and that was also turned down. Nobody wanted me. And so, uh, what ended up happening was the lease on the post divorce house was up on July 31st, and my youngest was going off to college. And the question was Does it make any sense to try to rent a a place for myself when I didn't know where I was going to have to live to get a job, and that just didn't make any sense. So on August 1st, I had no house, no spouse, no job, and no kid to take care of. Uh, but what I did have was my 2006 motorhome and my dog Buddy. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll move into the motorhome, and and then I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go to the beach and just sit at the beach in the motorhome, someplace pretty. But the problem is you can still be miserable in paradise because I had spent all this time trying to get a job. And I thought, Michelle, what's the chance that by doing the same thing or everybody's trying to consult their way to a job right now? And so I would wake up in paradise every morning thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't have a job. How long is this going to last? What am I going to do? And at 57, getting a job that's not a good fit is really not a really good option. So um, I thought, well, I need a project. And then Humans of New York came to mind. And that's a project where Brandon Stanton photographed thousands of people in New York City. And when he was photographing them, he started to hear their stories. And so he then combined uh, like short transcripts of what they told him about their lives with the photos. And I thought, okay, he did Humans of New York, I'll do Americans of the pandemic. And just like sort of run, forest run, I just started driving. Um, out to Wyoming. Now, that seems kind of like, well, how did you know how to do that, Michelle?
1: Yeah.
0: So now I'm going to back up to 1933, which you probably did not expect that I was going to do. I did not. (laughs) Go. Okay. In 1933, when my grandfather lost his job, he bought a trailer, and he and my grandmother lived in the trailer for three years. And when they got back on their feet and were able to get a house, he was like, you know, I really enjoy this being in an RV, although they didn't call them RVs back then. Um, and so they hung on to the trailer. My mom grew up RVing, as we call it these days, with a camper trailer. So when I was born, I think it was only about two years old before my parents had a camper trailer. Okay. Well, fast forward to my parents retiring, and they bought a 40-foot Motorhome and they traveled the country for seven years. Now, during this period of time, I had my young kids and I um, decided to homeschool them. And the first year of homeschooling was basically road schooling in tandem with my parents. They had their motorhome. I had a motorhome. For 10 months, we saw these wonderful national parks and state parks. So oh, I, I. Awesome. I, I love that. <laughs> And my kids were four and seven.
1: Okay, great ages
0: too. And so they were so excited about everything. And so it was so much fun. So driving out to Yellowstone from North Carolina is no big deal to me. I, I, I've probably done that now three or four times. And so we did it again two years later for four months. So doing, just saying, okay, I'm just gonna start driving out to Wyoming. I, I, you know, that was like falling off a log for me. Um, The tricky part was trying to find people to interview. Mm -hmm. But another thing, too, about why I needed a project is, you know, if I had tried to go back and recreate the magic I had with my kids in the motorhome, if I went to Yellowstone by myself, I think I'd sob the whole time. Where are the little kids? Yeah. I mean, I love being a mom and homeschooling and road schooling, so I, I think I would have just been brokenhearted. So I knew I needed to have something different, and I was super curious about how pe- how people were doing during the pandemic. And I'll give you one very obvious to me example of that, and that's what kind of piqued this for me. Ballet dancers who come dance in a ballet company. How did they keep themselves toned for certain lifts and sort of how do you how do you keep yourself aware of who else is around you and how to do the choreography if you're alone in your apartment? And so I kind of wondered, well, what are ballet dancers doing? And finally, when I got to Yuma, Arizona, I got the answer to that. But that took me about, let me see, I guess I must have been about. Eight months into my trip before I finally answered my ballet dancer
1: question. Okay. Very good. I love the beginning of that story. Wow. You come from the third generation of RV travelers. That's, that's amazing. Isn't that wild? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you headed out and you're on your way. You decided to head straight to Wyoming. Is that where you started or were you interviewing people along the way?
0: I interviewed people along the way. I just knew that I could drive out. I knew the, the route out to Wyoming, out to Yellowstone very well. And so I thought, well, I know how to drive out there. So I'll just drive out there. And then, but I crashed and burned figuratively trying to find people to talk to me in the beginning. I'd walk up to people (laughs) during a pandemic and ask them to talk to me. They were like, that woman is crazy. And I would do it at campgrounds and people were just like, stay away from her. So, um, (laughs) so what
1: was your approach?
0: (laughs) It was obviously bad. (laughs) I don't even remember. Um, What I finally decided to do is start to email in advance radio hosts and journalists and Museums and other organizations and towns that I was going through in advance and say, "Hey, I'm going to be in your town." And so, for example, the Huntington Museum of Art in Huntington, West Virginia, I I reached out and I said, well, "What are you all doing for outreach in terms of education?" So I met I uh, met with the director of education at that museum, and um, I started to figure out how to do this and. But everything sort of changed in Pine Bluffs, Wyoming, which is a very small town. Hmm. And I had reached out to the parks director because they had had a kite festival. So when I sat down with her, she said, why did you want to talk to me about a kite festival? And I said, you have no idea what the people on the East Coast would give for a kite festival at this point. And she thought, oh, I never thought of that. So then she introduced me to a bunch of people in Pine Bluffs, Wyoming, including Carrie, who owns a stunt dog performing company that couldn't do their performances all over the world. And actually, they ended up on American Idol, but that's a whole nother story. And um, so so (laughs) what I learned is that go to a smaller town, find a connector, and that connector while you're there, if they get excited about what you're doing, they will they will produce a whole bunch of people for you to talk to. And that's, that's how the rest of the trip went pretty much. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So the original trip was out to, well, I didn't get make it to Yellowstone. I made it to Pine Bluffs, Wyoming, which is near Cheyenne. Then I dropped down and I went into Raton, New Mexico. I love that town. I had a great time there. And then I headed East and ended up in Shamrock, Texas kind of lost my heart in Sherman, Texas. It's an adorable town. I interviewed so many people. I stayed there a few extra days. Oak Mugee, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, uh, Far City, Arkansas, uh, Corinth, Mississippi. I mean, it just went on. I went from small town to small town. And, and then I, I went home for, um, I went back to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, my home base. And then for the election that year, November, 2020, I went up to Washington, DC to see what it was like on election eve and election day and Philly, then went back down to Chapel Hill. Oh, I don't I can't even remember. I went all over the place. And finally I did I did one more big trip out to Los Angeles. And that's when I said to myself, okay, you have to do some big cities. So I added some of the big cities in. And then the very last one was to New York City, where I rented an Airbnb for when Broadway reopened in September, 2021.
1: Oh, wow. that's Yeah, your stories are great and they're so diverse and I just love, um, it took me back to that time period and it wasn't that long ago, but so much of it, I think, I don't know if it's just me, but like that I forgot how hard it was back then and um and to hear each individual tell their story about their own individual struggle or maybe their own triumph how they figured things out um it was is just such a wonderful book um I really really I've been really enjoying it more than I more than I thought I would let's just say that I was like (laughs) oh these are going to be COVID stories and you know we want to forget all that but um I was really reminded of some of the wonderful things that came out of that time that I forgot about. So kudos to you for putting this all together, Michelle. Do, do you have a background in storytelling? Oh, no, not at all. Um, I think that going back to, you
0: know, you know it's about solo RV women, right? Mm-hmm. So going, going back to the RV aspect of it, I think that growing up, going to campgrounds when I was young really wasn't was very transformative as a kid because you were always meeting new kids every single time you went and um, and you learned about these new kids and 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 I really think that that had something to do with it that every time I go to a campground I kind of feel at home every time I go to a new town I feel at home and um
1: and I think that's from growing up doing this. Yeah, very cool. So, where did you stay? A lot of the campgrounds and parks and things were closed during that time. Where did you stay? Well, I, I did stay at commercial campgrounds because
0: that's how my parents did it. Mm-hmm. So, but I was on the very, very, very tail end of it. And somebody said something about, oh, do you ever do Harvest Host? And I thought, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Oh, and then I found the joys of harvest hosts. And now I've, you know, camped with alpacas and ostriches and goats and beers and wine glasses. And <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I love harvest hosts. We talk about that all the time on here. Um, so you started out in campgrounds. So the campgrounds were open. You didn't have issues when you were traveling. I did not. The campgrounds were open
0: because I really I didn't start my trip until September 2020. And the campgrounds that were closed, that was really more um, March, April, May of 2020. Right. And I know that because I actually took my daughter and her friend down to Florida for spring break um, uh, right as borders were starting to close and getting getting commercial campgrounds on the way back up to North Carolina uh, was a little bit tricky because a lot of them were closed. Okay, gotcha. Did you end up interviewing any RVers? I did. Well, I went to this one campground in Nebraska, um, and I interviewed Penny, who she and her husband own the campground. And uh, she said, you know, it's really different this year. We usually have mostly retirees but this year we're having tons and tons of families and a lot fewer retirees and with the families that's been different too she said because usually you don't see the kids as much because they're on a device in the in the rv and she said and there are families that are out walking together and biking together and camping to, you know at the at the fire fire circle together she says it's completely different than than uh, it usually is Yeah. And then I also met, I didn't meet them. I I found them on Instagram, a woman named Molly and her husband, Chris, and they're known as the flying hens on Instagram and TikTok. And uh, Chris had been a pilot and was furloughed. And they decided the best thing to do financially was to sell their house and move to buy a fifth wheel. (laughs) And they were homeschooling their kids and to, to just move into the fifth wheel. And, and that's what they did. And um and so they're still having a great time living in their fifth wheel. Awesome.
1: Yeah, cool. So you did find. I mean there's definitely a lot of people who did change their lives after the pandemic or during the pandemic. So I, um, I'm sure you tell some of those stories, but you also tell some stories of people who didn't choose to change their lives during this time that that the change came upon them without their consent so to speak so yeah that was definitely something that stuck out for me what were some of of
0: the things that surprised me the, the most is i when i started out i expected to find an america that was despondent and feeling down and what i found instead um You know, people keep saying the word resilience and, you know, that word works too. But the word that I like is pluck, P-L-U-C-K. We don't use it very often these days, but it means spirited and determined courage. And in the vast majority of people I met, except for one person, um, I think uh, pluck really does uh, describe what I saw because whether somebody had lost a loved one, whether somebody's business had been shut down for months and months us or somebody was a mayor trying to, to help a town in its time of need, it was pluck. And the one person who didn't fit that was a chamber of commerce president of a small town who wasn't from the small town. And all he could talk about was how great it was that these big box stores were coming in and how the Dairy Queen had such a long line and how Maynard's was just doing his best year ever. And um, I said, what about your downtown? You know, I, I went down there to try to support the local businesses and get a meal but nothing was open he's like oh people just you know because don't give me that too people just complain about that all the time the people who grew up here just, they they wanna they want us to help the downtown and he said I'm just telling them just get over it we got all this money coming I know wow. see, see people who people can't see your face when I said that but um uh, so yeah. he was the only person on the whole trip that made me angry but okay. I, I just not believe he would give up on a downtown when he was the president of the chamber of commerce but other than that everybody else seemed to be like you know what let's move forward one way or the other
1: well you, you talk about that and that this was definitely not just a time of covid but a time of big well it's i think and it still carries on a time of divisiveness in our country did you see a lot of that when you were out there fortunately fortunately i did not
0: um when i had been for spring break when i'd taken my daughter to florida and we were on the beach and um we stopped at myrtle beach on the way back up saw an awful lot of uh, flags on the beach for a presidential candidate and i'd never seen anything like that before and, and it was just a different feeling and um but when i started just heading west from north carolina to Wyoming, I really have to say that I I really didn't see much evidence that we were in an election year. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't get a sense of divisiveness. And in fact, it just seemed like nobody wanted to talk about any of that. I mean, I had one question when I interviewed people, and this was the question. It's January 1st, 2020. What was your 2020 supposed to be like? And what did it end up being like through the present? And you know what, Kathy? People wanted to talk about their families, their dreams, their loved ones, their friends, their community, their jobs. Hardly anybody talked about the stuff
1: that seems to fill the airwaves every day. Yeah. I mean, that's true. When I know I find when I'm traveling, that's not something people usually are talking about, right? They're talking about the beautiful place that they're in, or the place they just came from, or where they're going, or yeah, the amazing band they saw the night before. People aren't really talking that much about politics and whatnot when you meet them when you're traveling. So I see that as well, and we and we find our our common ground usually, because we all have common ground if we if we really
0: sit down and listen to another person we will find so much in common with them. And it's actually the reason why there are no photos of the people that I interviewed in the book. Um, because at first I had photos and then, um, so it's, it's, an, it's a book published by UNC Press and the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke. So it had to be peer reviewed, both at the beginning and in the final manuscript. Um, and when we sent the final manuscript to two peer reviewers, one of them, came back and called it elegiac, which means poetic. And I thought, you know what? If there were photos, it wouldn't be elegiac. And then I realized that when we see a fo- photo of another person and they're not right in front of us and we don't get a chance to really hear them and listen to them, we all have biases and um, pro or con and that we bring to it. And I thought, well, if we just take the fo- we don't have the photos in it. Then the people's words can resonate more with the reader. That we that people people will just focus on that other person's experience and what they learn from it, and then we can each probably get something from every single story. Because I know I got something from I guess I've interviewed about three hundred people. I got something from every single person.
1: Yeah, it was poetic. It really was. Did you do a lot of editing of the stories?
0: Well, I would, so when I interviewed people, I would, there's a transcription app called Otter, O-T-T-E-R. And so I would show them that as they talked, it would record the audio and the words. And I would just put the phone down and they wouldn't even be thinking about the fact that they were being recorded because, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I would then email myself the text transcript and I'd look at it. And I'd figure out the sort of the arc for the story, because some of the the stories in the book are between 400 and 1,200 words each. So I'd figure out the arc of the story, and I'd put that together, and then I would send it back to them and say, is this what you said? And then they would say, yes. And so um, that's
1: how the stories came together. Oh, that's wonderful. So you gave each person the opportunity to go back and correct what they said or didn't say.
0: Yes. Well, so there was one gentleman who was unhoused in uh, Echo Lake Park in Los Angeles, and I did not get his
1: story back to him, but other people, yes. Okay. That's great. So what common themes did you find? What What I,
0: it wasn't so, well, pluck was the common theme, mm-hmm. but one of the interesting takeaways is, you know, before covid a lot of us were in what I call the blind grind. And, and then when COVID made us all stay in our homes, um, we paused and in that pause, we also looked around and thought about each other more. I mean, a lot of us have that image in our minds of the Italians and the Spanish you know, on their balconies and singing and hitting pots and pans. And, and we, we thought about each other And we did some reevaluating about our lives. And I have to say that after the majority of my interviews, when we were done, the people would say, how's everybody else doing out there? And could you you tell me a story? And the most memorable one for me, somebody didn't even interview, but I just met him on the side of a road when I needed some air in my tire. his name is Calvin, and he lives in Alpine, Texas, and he was helping me out, and um, he said, you know, I've been really thinking about restaurant owners in New York City. He said, you know, out here in Alpine, I'm doing just fine. He said, you know, we got, we've got we got this big ranch, and, and what we do to earn money and our work, he said, you know, that's that hasn't been affected. In fact, it's doing pretty well. He said, but I keep thinking about what if I were a restaurant owner in New York City? And I said, well, Calvin, you know, what's really interesting is I just interviewed Dominic over Zoom three days ago. And he is an owner of an Italian restaurant in Manhattan. And he's not doing well because he's still not allowed to have people eat in his restaurant. And it is killing him financially. And so Calvin says to me, would you do me a favor? If you ever talk to him again, would you please tell him that a rancher in Alpine, Texas is thinking about him? And so I called Dominic and of course I said, Hey, Dominic, there's this rancher (laughs) in Texas who's thinking about you. And he said, no way. And I said, yeah. And I think that a lot of us were like that, that we were thinking about, Hey, things aren't so bad for me. I wonder how they're for others or some people were doing really poorly and, and losing loved ones or struggling with their own health. Um, and they, their challenges a lot of us were thinking about all the time.
1: Yeah, oh, that was a beautiful story. I just teared up hearing that. Um, it's, it's strange how experiences like that that are so challenging can also just bring out the best in people. It's wild how that happens.
0: Yep, it's true.
1: And I was also just thinking about the woman who was the comedian who decided to, she lost all of her jobs. And so she decided to start making masks and then became like the, I forget what she called herself, like the queen of the masquerade or something. What was, what did she call herself? So Kathy, there's even a
0: bigger part of that story. So, so, so just to briefly tell it. Christina Wong uh, is a comedian. She lives in LA and she had just started a national tour to a standing ovation and the LA times wrote it up and she was so excited and then COVID. And so when COVID shut her down, she, uh, and she was alone in her house and she saw that people needed masks and she thought, well, I can be essential. I can make face masks so she got out her Hello Kitty sewing machine and started <laughs> making face masks and she started telling people on Facebook, hey, um, you know, I've got these face masks, who wants them? Well, it just ballooned over two weeks and she ended up getting about two or 300 volunteers all across the country, a lot of them who were also in performing arts, to help do this. Now, a lot of them originally were Asian women, like Christina is. And and an auntie is a, a a nice term for an older female um, in the family or or community. So she called themselves the auntie sewing squad, and 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 because everybody was um, and she was telling them all work harder, work harder. So she laughed at herself and she said, "I'm the overlord oh, of the auntie, auntie sewing squad." Well, when in in when I was in New York City in September 2021, when Broadway reopened, I saw Christine. I met her in person. Um, and we had already talked months and months and months before that, but I met her in person because she was doing a one-woman show off-Broadway in November 2021. She got a, she was named a Pulitzer Prize finalist in drama for that. I'm not joking. Well, last Monday, Christina was back in New York City to accept the Doris Duke Artists Award, which was an unrestricted cash donation, a cash gift to her of $550,000 and I know. And she's currently um, performing her play in uh, downtown L.A. for the next month.
1: And her play, it's a new play and it's about the Mass Brigade, correct? Well, yeah, it's it's her one woman show about her experience. Yeah. So it wasn't those shows she started off doing. She wrote a new play. That's right. Yeah, that's right. In fact, she was
0: still writing it when I saw her in September. She said, "I really have to get back and I, I need to write some more." But the first one was about um, she had run for like basically town council, and she was using that experience to try to do a 2020 election a kind of shtick, if you oh, will. Okay. So that was mm-hmm. the first the first one, um, and
1: then yeah. So that really cha- this has really changed her life. That's amazing. So, what about you? Has this book changed your life? Well, um, I don't know yet. The book comes out on March 14th. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I got an advanced copy. Okay. You did get an advanced copy. Um,
0: It seems like a couple of the online uh, booksellers are selling it, but it won't be in bookstores until March 14th. But So I don't know yet, Kathy. Um, uh, If it does well, and if people like this this format, I'll probably take you off in the motorhome again, and I've got four storylines I'm working on. I can't decide what the next one will be about, but I hope for who we are now to be a series. Um, oh, okay. Maybe, maybe who we are now our different lives or something like that about people who are vanners and live in or schoolies and, and lighthouses and tree houses, um, boats, or, or maybe uh, I have all sorts of ideas up my sleeve that I'm starting stories on. So something will come together. There'll be another who we are now
1: yeah, okay. Well, yeah, you, you're definitely on to something. It definitely struck a chord with me and I really, really enjoyed it. So I appreciate your coming on and, and telling and talking to us a little bit about your experience. So where can where can we all find the book and where can we find you?
0: Sure, well, I can make it really easy. So my website is called Who We Are Now dot us who we are now dot us and from there you can find my you know social media links and you can find my email which is who we are now usa at gmail.com and if you're looking for my travel instagram account
1: that's just michelle fishburn and i'm known on instagram as the happy nomad so michelle was there anything about this experience or um, anything that you wanted to talk about that i didn't ask you about
0: um, I think that you know now that people are hearing that I'm a solo woman RVing full time. Um, I get some a lot of the same questions, and I'm sure a lot of your guests have got these same questions. But the "Don't you get lonely?" question, um, and I think that one of the things that was really great about the "Who We Are Now" project is the whole point of it was to go out and be with other people. Yeah. Well, I certainly I certainly went through a lot of towns where the streets were all rolled up. I mean, I think about Shermock, Texas and, you know, it really didn't feel like a ghost town and it had some of the same facades and stuff. And so you're like, wow, there's nobody here. Um, and it really was hard to, to meet people. But like I said, that's where the meeting a connector in a town really can change that whole thing. Yeah. But I, I wonder if I went out now, if it would be different. Cause maybe, maybe I just thought about this, Kathy, maybe the people I met with were so excited to meet other people outside their communities that, that they were more willing to talk with me and talk with me longer. And like, I, I met these two women in the visitor center of um, Shamrock. And oh man, that's a neat little place. It's a diner and stuff and an old hotel. And we, we, we just talked for so long. And it's just, it wasn't that, there are not many people coming through at the time. So yeah so we weren't interrupted we weren't rushed it was such a leisurely time to travel through america everybody was just sort of taking their time
1: yeah. and visiting with each other yeah quite, quite a time that we that we all went through together collectively
0: i've been told that when people read these stories that it's it helps them process what we all went through um, and, and I'm glad if that's helping people do that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, that I kind of resonated with that because like I said, I think there was parts of it that I had forgotten about, you know, and that this is just kind of reminding me like what we all went through, uh, you know, some of the really scary stuff and some of the really kind of cool stuff, the banging on the pots and pans every night with our neighbors, you know?
0: And some of the stories are funny. I remember when Amy, I don't know if you've read, I'm sure you've read Amy's story. I think it's pretty early on where she says, and I said, don't you lock me up with my husband and my kids? And talk. <laughs> she said, he, you know, he's been traveling mostly three weeks or whatever out of every month. And my kids are at school. What are you telling me? I've got to spend every day with them.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, and then there was Caleb, who did the axe rowing company in Valdosta, Georgia. And he said that in the summer of 2020, when there were no summer camps and the kids had been home all through the spring, he said there were a lot of mom groups coming through.
1: And. I bet those moms were throwing those axes. They yeah. were
0: throwing those axes. He said, All you do is put a little X on this board, and you can just throw out all of your rage and frustration. And, he, and then he said to me, He looked he he deadpan this. I don't he wasn't even joking. He wasn't meant to be funny. He looks at me and goes, you know, women are throw, better at throwing axes than men. I don't know if it just means that they have that much more rage and frustration in them, or if they're better at listening directions and listening to directions. And he looked at me and goes, Or maybe it's both.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much, Michelle. It's been great chatting with you today. And I wish you the best of luck with your book. Do you plan on doing a book tour? I am doing a book tour and I will be making my
0: way up the East Coast in March. I'll be in New York City um, when the book comes out on March 14th. And the night before, I'm going to be doing a virtual book event at the Greenlight Bookstore in Brooklyn. And my interviewer, his name is Chris Belair, and he is a monologue writer for The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. And Chris is in the book. And so, yeah. And then I'm going to head out to LA and then uh, back to DC and back to North Carolina. And yes, I'm going to be bebopping around. And then I'm going to get in the motorhome and head out to
1: Wyoming again. All right. Wonderful. Well, maybe we'll cross paths out there somewhere.
0: That sounds great. I'd love to do that.
1: Well, thanks, Michelle.
0: All right. You take care, Kathy. And thank you, everybody, for uh, listening in today.
1: I'd really like to thank my guest, Michelle, again. Here are my key takeaways. Number one, Michelle comes from a long line of RV travelers, starting with her grandparents who traveled in a trailer back in 1933. Her parents RV'd when she was a kid and she took her children on an RV trip and road school them when they were young. So sharing RVing with our families can really change the trajectories of our lives and their lives. Number two, One of the things we learned during the 2020 pandemic was to go with the flow and how to pivot. These were really great lessons for the RV lifestyle. And Michelle is such a great example of this. When her 2020 didn't go as planned, she got a great new idea, hopped in her RV and implemented it. Where can your RV take you? Number three, Michelle talked to people from all walks of life and she found some common ground with all of them. When you sit down and talk and really listen to someone, your differences become less important than your commonalities. Thanks for listening to the Solo Women RV podcast. Please join our email list over at solowomenrv.com to stay up to date on all things solo travel related. And if you like what you heard today, please consider becoming a podcast sponsor. Details can be found over at anchor.fm slash Kathy Belge. And if you know someone who would benefit from what we talked about today, please share this episode with them or leave us a review over on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps and makes it easier for others to find us. The solo women RV podcast theme music is Field Station by Nicole Potolsky. And until next week, We'll see you out there on the road.